Welcome to the Thrive Church Podcast. Listen anytime you miss a service or want to hear a message again from our Sunday worship services and select special services. Lead Pastor Brian Bauer, as well as guest speakers, will bring messages that will help you encounter God, love people. Join us for virtual service on Facebook Live at Encounter Thrive. Or for those comfortable, we'd love to have you for our in-person services Sundays at 10. To learn about us, what we believe, how to connect, how to give, or how to find us, visit the all-new EncounterThrive.com. And now, here is our message. Good morning. Good morning, Thrive Church. Come on. Good morning, Thrive Church. That's right. Man, it's been an awesome service already. Some of you are like, you don't even need to preach. I'm like, oh, you're adorable. Oh. Oh, I am back. I am back every Sunday for now until I die. So, I'm kidding. But, um, but uh, we are back. No more travels. I will tell you a little bit where we were last Sunday. We were at Christians United for Israel uh, Summit. And, uh, and I will tell you about that in a while. Uh, somewhere in the message. And I'm excited to tell you about it. It's, it's pretty awesome. But uh, we are starting a new series, Ephesians. And Ephesians kind of broken down into a couple of different sections, really. The first half of the book, and then the back half. And the first half is kind of like Christian, uh, what Christ did. What does this mean? And then the second half is, and now what do we do with it, and how do we live it? It's a, it's a phenomenal book in the Bible, like every other book in the Bible. But it's a phenomenal book in the Bible. So... When I first moved up to Wisconsin, I was 19 years old and soon to be engaged to my wife. Her, her pastor invited me up to move there. She had one year left at Bible college. So my wife and I met at Dallas Bible College. Uh, and, and, and then over the summer, as we're visiting each other, her pastor says, would you move up here? Would you help work with our youth? Would you pray about it? And I just feel like God calls me up there. So I go up there. And, and I experienced, now in a lot of ways, real similar. But there are differences of Wisconsin to here. Does anybody know that? Anybody lived from Wisconsin to here? Daniel knows. All right. So one of the things when I got up there, it was like this thing called cheese curds. And I was like, what is that? And then I had them and I was like, give me more of that. Because <laughs> they're awesome. The, they're not the same here. Just so you know, the Culver's and the other rest, they're good. It ain't the same. It is better there, okay? But there are other things that are worse, okay? For example, when I moved up there, my wife, we lived in Madison, Wisconsin, which is a medium-sized city. It's like a quarter million, but it's not a huge city, okay? It's, it's definitely not Chicago. I grew up here, okay? And so when I moved up there, you know, my wife would be like, well, that's on the other side of town. I was like, yeah, so let's go get it. And she was like, but it's like 20 minutes away. And I was like, yeah, exactly. It's only 20 minutes away. She's like, that's so far. And I was like, that's the gas station where I'm from. Like, just let's just go get that thing. It's, it's super easy. And, and numerous other things. I, I, I mean, I've always been a Bears fan, but living there solidified being a Bears fan. I got so much garbage for being from Illinois and Chicagoland. Like, so much. Like, all the time. And I remember specifically one day, like, people would give me, uh, and, and these, they're, we've had rough days for the Bears for about 40 years, but, but, but these were especially rough days, like, right before the Urlacher season, which was like this nudge of hope for a while, till that went away, but, 
But, but the, the, the early 2000s, like, we're just terrible. And I remember even what camp one year, like, kids are like, Packers suck. And I was like, the Bears suck. And they're like, oh, you think, you think the Bears are, uh, are uh, and they were like, you think the Bears are good? I said, no, I just said the Packers suck. <laughs> and, and they just gave me all kinds of grief for being from, and I remember hearing this song on the radio. They had like a Bears still suck song that they played on the radio on a regular basis. And I remember finally one day saying, you know what, that's it. Fine. I am a huge Bears fan. I am a Bears fan for, and the truth is I'm not. I, don't, I couldn't tell you everybody on the roster. Uh, I couldn't tell you the record. From the last, but they're my team. They will be my team for life. And if you've been a Cubs fan, you understand, okay? And, and we've won sooner than you did, you know? <laughs> so I just became a Bears fan. And, 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 a, and a Chicago, like I'm a Chicago kid. For all the stuff wrong with this state and this city, it's home, <laughs> you know. It's, it's where, I, where we came from. And there are a lot of good things about it, too. Um, and the, the, I remember one day, finally, you know, just all these jokes. One day, we had this college and career group that met in somebody's, my wife's friend's apartment. And, and she, in the middle of the group, there's like 20 people there or so, and she, in the middle of the group, and I had gotten real tired of all the Illinois-Chicago jokes, you know, for a while you're like, ha-ha, and then after a while you're like, all right, enough. <laughs> and, and it's like somebody picking on your brother. Like, you know what, I can't stand him either, but he's my brother to pick on. <laughs> so, so what happens is uh, they're, they're, she starts making all these Illinois jokes, which anybody knows. Does anybody here say they're from Illinois? What do we say we're from? Right. Even if we're not proud of it, that's where we're from. Right? Because there is a vast difference from being from Illinois. Not to them, though. They don't know any better, okay? Cheese heads. All right? So, <laughs> you guys made up the label. <laughs> I didn't. So, so, she's making all these Illinois jokes. All these. And finally, in front of the whole group, this, my wife's friend Dawn looks at me. She's like, what's the matter, Brian? Don't like them? Don't like the Illinois jokes? I was like, uh, whatever, I don't care. And then she's like, what? well, we, I grew up saying these. We grew up with Illinois jokes. What did you guys grow up saying about us, huh? What did you grow up saying about us? What did you think about us? And I just looked at her in front of the whole room, and I said, we didn't. <laughs> and that was the end of it. It was awesome. <laughs> I, I didn't hear too many of those jokes after that. Um, because the truth is, when you go somewhere and you, you do a new thing, like, the culture changes. And you've got to adapt to some things. You've got to change to some things. Right? If I, go to, if I go to be a missionary in Mexico, I better learn how to speak Spanish, right? Or I'm going to have the smallest congregation ever. Or, you know, <laughs> something worse. So, it's just not... Things got to change. When my, my wife moved here, we're doing a, we're working at a church. She knows I'm going to tell the story. We're work, I'm working at a church, and we brought in like the good pizza for the volunteer rooms meetings. And and she was, she grew up there. You know, she grew up in Wisconsin, Madison, Wisconsin. And and so when we brought in the good pizza, now what happens when you get a large group of people from Chicago in the same room with pizza? Everybody now starts talking about their favorite, pizza. right? Everybody has their favorite thin crust and their favorite thick crust and their favorite deep dish, right? Everybody has it here, right? Okay? Now, anybody ever had one of those moments where 
the room goes silent, and you just say something that you didn't want everyone to hear. Anybody ever had that? Happens to me on a very regular basis. <laughs> okay, well, this happened to my wife, and I think this is the only time I've ever remembered it happening to her. Everybody's talking about their favorite pizza place. And the room goes blank, and my wife says about as loud as she can, I don't get it. It's just pizza. And the whole room, boom, eyes on her like, what? How can you, what are you saying? You know, that'd be like saying, I don't get it. It's just milk in Wisconsin. It just, they don't understand it. Like, it was different, you know, and you have to adapt. And there are things that change. I remember going to a family dinner with my wife when we were first engaged. And her whole family, not her, but her whole family was drinking milk with the dinner. And I was like, I'd stop doing this at like six. I didn't know people still did this. I think it was a Wisconsin thing. I'm pretty sure. Because I lived in other parts of the country. Dallas and other places up by the Twin City. Nobody drank milk there. It's just certain regions. It's just the culture. It's just the people. And it changes. And when you come to know God, your life has now entered a new kingdom and a new culture. And believe it or not, whether you understand it or not, everything is different now. Everything has changed. Even some things you may not know or like might be not what you think they're supposed to be. Paul writes this letter to this church in Ephesus. Ephesus is this hub city on a river, on a, on a sea, in a port, and it's a province of Rome, and it is a major place of worship towards, towards this, this basically sex god, and, and that's also a big part of their economy, right? Because they sell and buy different things for worship, okay? But it's also a giant trade city. Paul, at one point when he's ministering in this city, he starts leading people to Christ, and there is a riot of maybe ten to 20,000 people because he's leading people to Jesus, and it's like, you're upsetting our economy. This is our way of life, and you are changing it because of Jesus. But that's what happens in the kingdom. And then a while later, he writes a letter to that church, and then most likely to churches surrounding it. And it's unique because Paul, he's like a Pharisee's Pharisee. He was raised up in Judaism by the greatest Pharisee of their time, Gamaliel. He knows Hebrew. He knows Greek. He's a Roman citizen, but he's a Jew. He is educated beyond educated. And along the way of his life, he gets wrecked to follow Jesus Christ with his whole heart. And then he starts leading people to Jesus so much that he's causing riots, and it, it changes everything. So if you have your Bibles, go to Ephesians 1, and that's who he's writing to and what he's writing about. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. I'm writing to God's holy people in Ephesus who are faithful followers of Christ Jesus. May God our Father and Lord Christ Jesus give you grace and peace. All praise to, Father, uh, to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we're united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. 
God decided in advance to adopt us into his family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he poured on us who belong to his clear son, dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He showered us his kindness on us, along with all wisdom and understanding. God has now revealed to us his mysterious plan regarding Christ, a plan to fulfill his own good pleasure. And this is the plan. At the right time, he'll bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Because, Furthermore, because we're united with Christ, we've received an inheritance from God. He chose us in advance and makes everything work out according to his plan. God's purpose was that we Jews who were first to trust in Christ would bring praise and glory to God. And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, who we promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he'll give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we'd praise and glorify him. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would speak today and have your way. Not my words, not somebody else's, not our own ideas, but what you want to say, God. In Jesus' name. Amen. So a few things in this book he starts with, and I'm just going to break them down, just a few things that pop out at me in the scripture that I feel like are super important. The first thing he says, what, one of the things he says is, every spiritual blessing. Think of that. God has given you every spiritual blessing if you've come to know him in, in Christ Jesus. He has opened up the floodgates of God's goodness. Everybody take God's blessings that, is, that are spiritual. What does that mean? The blessings of God are for you. But here's, here's there's a key word there, spiritual. Everybody say spiritual. Man, you guys seem like you're in the spirit. Spiritual. Thank you. There's a coffee bar, you know. Okay, so, so every blessing is spiritual. Okay, these are spiritual blessings. Not necessarily carnal earthly, worldly, flesh, material blessings. They're not necessarily monetary. God is talking about spiritual, beyond this life, above this life, outside of what happens in this life. And they are very real, but they're not always physically tangible. Now, does God bless some people with the ability to make money? He does, right? Does God bless somebody with the ability to be administrative? For sure he does, but I would tell you that's a gift from God, but it's not necessarily a spiritual gift. It's a natural gift from God. It's not a spiritual one. And Paul is trying to teach them the spiritual stuff is even better. And it's supposed to come out into the natural and begin to affect everything. We now have everything we could ever ask for. And so much of it we didn't even know we needed we have so much in Jesus, we've got no idea. And they're abundant. God's blessings for us are crazy abundant. See, we don't like talking that way because we think, you know, here we go, the prosperity thing. Oh, they mentioned healing as one of those churches. Oh, uh. 
We are talking about God's goodness in the spiritual realm, which then plays out in the natural. We're not talking that everything goes our way all the time. No. But even when it doesn't, I have Jesus and all the promises he's offered me. And that is going to carry me. It's going to hold me together. It's going to abound to me. It's going to lead me. It's going to guide me. It's going to speak to me. It's going to change me. It's going to take this awful thing that happened to me. And God is going to do something. Right? We have people in this house right now and, or watching online who they're not physically well. Well, God, why did God heal them and not heal them? I don't know. And I'm not going to try and answer the question because I'm not him. But I'm still going to believe him for that healing. If I go all the way up to the grave believing for healing and I go to the other side of the grave, guess what? I'm healed. (laughs) Nobody in heaven is walking around like, what the heck, I got gypped, you know? (laughs) Nobody's doing that. (laughs) They're living in the full blessing. Every spiritual blessing. I mean, that is a crazy thing to say. I made a small list that probably just scratches the surface of some of the spiritual blessings we have in Christ. Go ahead and throw that up there. There's a small list. Forgiveness, eternal life, freedom, peace, wholeness, spiritual authority, boldness, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, healing, and body, soul, and mind. I'm never alone. I have eternal security. I have hope. I have a sound mind. I have unconditional love. I have counsel for all the time. I'm comforted. I have mercy. I'm under grace. There's spiritual armor. There's spiritual awareness. There's seeing beyond the natural. There's a map to the end of time. There's a way out in temptation. I have a father-child relationship with God. I'm made holy. I'm made righteous. I have daily bread. I have provision. I have financial blessing. I have victory. I have assurance. I've been made alive from being dead. Bondages in my life are broken. God has compassion on me. I have purpose. I have a mission. I have a vision. I have a future. God convicts me instead of being numb now. I, I know what truth is. I have a friendship with God. God, I have eternal value, I'm free of wrath, and I'm free of judgment. And that's just getting started. This is every spiritual blessing in Jesus. That's not, I gotta tell you, prosperity gospel is like the worst name for it because if you don't think knowing Jesus is prosperous, man, you have a messed up relationship with Jesus. Jesus is prosperous. Now, I'm not talking about monetary prosper. Sometimes he does that. But it's way better than that. I'm not talking about just stuff or never being sick. Way beyond that. It's when I am sick, I'm still whole. It's when I'm struggling, I'm not alone, and I will make it through somehow. And God holds me together, and he leads me, and he is, when everybody else hates me, he has compassion on me. When everybody else abandons me, he's like, I'm never leaving. Every spiritual blessing in Jesus Christ, we get to have that. It's crazy. 
And, and we come from traditions, especially in the American church, that are at the extremes. And those extremes are like, we either, we either get all healing and all the money and we're never sick and we never get fat and we never get bald and we never die, you know, and we get 27 houses or God doesn't do any of that. You're going to die young and be miserable and that's all suffering for Jesus. Enjoy it. <laughs> you know, and it's like, yet neither of those is actually really good perspectives. Those are extremes, and they're unhealthy. God is extreme, but he's not a God of extremes. His goodness abounds to us. It abounds to me. And some of you, I know what you're saying. Well, not right now, Brian. And I would tell you, then you don't believe the Bible, because we just read it. Every spiritual blessing abounds to us. It doesn't mean it's all working itself out in the natural in front of me right at the moment. No. But Paul didn't say that, though. He said every spiritual blessing. It's, he, he gave that to us. He's, and God's just like, here, I want you to have this through my son. He makes us an inheritance. He brings us into this thing. And now we no longer are just kids on the outside, but he goes on to say, in, in, in verse 5, we are adopted in. Paul talks about this story, that we get adopted into the family. I'm going to tell you something that you may or may not have ever heard. Most of us are not Jewish. <laughs> Write it down if you need to, okay? Right? By nature, like most of us are not Jewish. So how do we get in on this Jesus thing? How do we even get in on God's kingdom? Like, we're not born into it. Now, hang in there. I don't believe in, like, a dual covenant where you're automatically saved if you're a certain race. Jesus made a different system, okay? Jesus is the way. But we're not the natural-born kids. We are Gentiles. We are the people on the outside. And God adopts us in. He comes after us and says, I want you in my family. So there's a few things to draw from that. The first is the pretty obvious one, like, I'm so humbled and broken that God would adopt me, that he would call me by name, and he would make me a son and a daughter of him. Why? I don't deserve or haven't earned any of this. And it's awesome. But secondly, and this is the part I want to focus on, this is what I want to talk about where we've been. My wife and I this past week, we were at Christians United for Israel. It was a great summit. It's a Christian organization. And it basically has a stand, started by John Hagee, and it has a stand that basically we are, they're, they're a couple of, they have a couple of points. One, the first thing they're not trying to do is evangelize Israel. Why? Part of it is because they don't want them to think, we're coming with an agenda to you. But secondly, they understand this was God's first chosen people. And some of you are like, well, in the New Testament, some of you, I know some of the real Bible people are like, the New Testament says neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, blah, 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 down the line. And, and fair enough, okay, I understand that, but that's in reference to something. Now hang with me, okay, all right, 
But we believe, but let me put it in real simple terms. If you have children of your own, and you have a kid or two or three, and then you adopt two or three more, and those first two or three kids decide to reject you or leave or leave the house and get out of a relationship with you, do you then say, I'm done with you and I'm only going with the adopted kids? Does any parent do that? No, that's psychotic. <laughs> no parent. You bring it up, Nathan. Come on. I'm guessing Cece brought that. Thank you, Cece. I, don't, I know Nathan didn't bring it. <laughs> um, no. Why? Because God still has a heart for his people. Those are still his kids. And they may still, some of them may still be lost, many of them. But God still has a heart for Israel. You know the Bible says over and over, those who bless Israel will be blessed. You know what it doesn't say? Until the New Testament. It doesn't say that. It says, for Zion's sake, right? For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. And so we're basically like a three-day summit where they brought in, they, they scholarshiped us. The church didn't pay for this, okay? They, they flew us out. They put us up in the hotel. They put us through the conference. And then they tell us basically about Israel. Now, a few things about Israel. If you don't know, in Revelation, it talks about Israel being restored. But that was written around the time Israel was invaded in AD 70, and the temple was destroyed, decimated. And then over the next 2,000 years, what happens in Israel? It gets taken over, basically, by, by an Islamic people, and Jews get what's called the diaspora. They get dispersed around the globe. And what brings Israel back? Does anybody know what brings Israel back? In? After 2,000 years. Go ahead, Tony. 1948. Why 1948? What just happened? World War II. But more so, the Holocaust. Across almost the entire continent of Europe, the Jewish people were systematically exterminated by the millions, upwards of six million Jews and then six million others for any number of reasons. And when that, and you should know, my wife and I, we got, it, it was like a crazy trip. <laughs> Like God is doing something. I don't even fully know what he's doing, but he's doing something. Because we get there, and we've, there's a museum of the Bible now in D.C., and you're like, how is that in D.C.? It's there. I don't know how it happened, but it's there. It's not free, but it's there. And, and we get there, and the one lady's like, hey, you got to see, you got to see, you got to see the Old Testament section. And we're like, yeah, but the, the Jesus village, and this, and this. she's like, trust me, this part. And it's like a 30-minute walkthrough. This is like, this is worth a trip just itself. It's like a 30-minute walkthrough of the Old Testament story of God. Inter interactive media. And it, about halfway through, like, there's a burning bush in the room. <laughs> like, it's not on a screen. There's a burning bush. I don't think it's actually God. I don't think it's the original. Okay, but, <laughs> but it's there. And, and, and they talk about the law and the, 
man, I am just wrecked at the holiness and awesomeness of our God. This God who before time began, he has always existed. He has no beginning. There's a rebellion in heaven. The enemy stands up and he tries, the devil tries to deceive a third of the angels and he does so, tries to take heaven and God in just a moment casts him down and then he waits and then finally he says, I will begin creation and he makes humanity. This, this hybrid of the spiritual and the natural to, to say, I, I want to be in relationship with you and I want you to worship me. And, and then, and then as, as that man sins again and again and rejects him, God says, I'm going to create a people. I'm going to create a people who will then represent me to the rest of them. And I'm going to start with one guy named Abraham. And Abraham says, yes, God, I'll follow you. And by the way, who are you? <laughs> And then when God, when he follows God, he gets to this place where he's not supposed to be. See, where God called him to, the promised land, there's a, there's a famine. So he follows God all the way to the promise, and there's nothing. And God's like, just go over to Egypt. And he does. And that's where he dies. And that's where his family begins and keeps going. So much so, over 400 years, they have been, they've become a massive people. But in that place and in that time, they also become slaves. And one day God shows up to somebody else, Moses, and says, I want to set you free. I've heard the cries of my people. Let's go. And God breaks them free. He walks them on dry land across the Red Sea as the water parts. He gives them law. He teaches them how to be a people again. And then they continually reject him, and it's this constant back and forth of saying, God, we want you. God, we're sorry. God forgives them. God restores them. And then they reject him again. Anybody know what that's like? Me too. <laughs> over and over. This, isn't, this is the story of God calling people. Somebody would tell you, oh, the Old Testament's filled with genocide. That person, I love them, but they're an idiot. They don't know what they're talking about. This is a merciful God who cries out and has a story of humanity across the ages and has a people that he loves and saying and trying to tell those people, I want this to go to the whole world, but through you. And they just keep failing so often and so much till finally God says, I'm going to be silent for a while. His prophets aren't, you're not listening to my prophets. You're not listening to my kings. You're not listening, you just keep rejecting me. And, and the kingdom fractured, and then they're invaded. And then God goes silent for almost 400 years. And then one day, in a town called Bethlehem, we hear a baby's cry. And God is about to fulfill his promises, not just to his people, but to the world. That's what it means to get adopted in. Thank you, Nathan. We become adopted in. Matter of fact, there's a neat explanation of it. Take a look at this. Have you ever wondered, what's the big deal about Israel? What's the big deal about Israel? What's the big deal about Israel? Why is this tiny country always in the news? And why do other countries want to wipe it off the map? Or maybe you've asked, Why have the Jews been so mistreated throughout history? Even today, why is anti-Semitism growing around the world? Or how about this? Why, why should, should we, we care? care? 
To answer those questions, let's go back to the beginning. God's entire plan of redemption began with the covenant. A promise to one man, Abraham, through his son, Isaac, and his son, Jacob, a.k.a. Israel. The promise included a specific piece of land, and the promise is everlasting. God always keeps his promises. Over 400 years later, God made another covenant, this time with Moses. If Israel followed God's law, they could take possession of and permanently occupy the promised land. Even in our day, we've seen something no one thought was possible. In 1948, the Jewish people reestablished the nation of Israel. God always keeps his promises. And he made another one, a third covenant with King David. God said that David's kingdom would be established forever through the coming Messiah. We know that future king to be Jesus. That's why Matthew called him son of David. There's coming a day when his promises to Abraham and David will be fulfilled together. This is made possible because of the new covenant. This new promise was sealed with the blood of Christ Jesus. One day, Jesus will reign from Jerusalem. Isaiah said this new kingdom would be the center of global rule. And Paul said when Jesus returns, all Israel will be saved. God always keeps his promises. So, if you want to know the answers to those questions, God made a promise, and the enemy has done and will do everything in his power to destroy Israel and her people. That's why, as Christians, we need to stand in solidarity with Israel. We, we need, need to love the Jewish people, and we need to pray for the, the peace of, of Jerusalem. Jerusalem. So, if you'd like, I have more questions about that. Great, see me after church or sometime this week. But we bless Israel because they, were, they came first and then we get to be adopted in. And there's all kinds of other crazy things we learn. Like, you may know this, you may not, but they're surrounded by enemies. Do you know there's hundreds of rockets shot into Israel every day? Onto where children play and where parents just have their shops and do their business. Every day, hundreds a day. And if it wasn't for the Iron Dome, they'd, they'd be decimated. There's literally people in our Congress right now who would be fine with the desolation of Israel. It's horrific. What has happened? I don't know. And it's on both sides. Do not think anti-Semitism belongs to one side. But anyway, moving on. But we, as Jen said, we get adopted in. And then it goes on in verse 11. So now Christ will make everything work out according to his plan. We give up our plans and we come into his plans. We stop self-identifying and we start Christ-identifying. I met some people this last week. Oh, I don't like the term Christian because et cetera, et cetera. And I get it. I understand. But I'm like, you can identify with Christ, me with Christ any way you want to. I hope I look and sound a lot more like him than me. Come on. God, this is humanity. This story, all of this, this is not the story of the world. This is the story of God. And we get to be a part of it. We stop our own plans and we pick up his. We reject our own plans. So, so I, just, to, just to visualize this, right? This is like a map from DPCC to my house, right? 
Very easy. I just, I, it's not MapQuest, it's Google, right? Anybody remember MapQuest? Yeah, that's how we got to places for a while. Do you remember when MapQuest was wrong? You were screwed, right? <laughs> like, I got nothing. Um, I'm done. I don't, I will never get there, right? So then I was like, you know what? So my glory, my five-year-old, I was like, can you draw me one of the, like something like this? So she did her very best, okay, version of that map. Those are hearts, by the way. <laughs> you got to keep it the right side up. So, so she draws her own map, and you know what? It's cute, and it's sweet, and if you try to use this to get to my house, we will not meet up. <laughs> right? It's sweet, it's wonderful, but the thing is, her map and her plan, it's sweet and cute and, and not that great to get there. And this is our life when we try and make it on our own. And when we try and follow our plan and our purposes and our way. You're like, everything's going according to plan. My life is exactly the way I want it to be. Stay on it. It's going to look like this eventually. You're not going to get there. A matter of fact, I feel most compassion for the people who it goes all their way without Jesus because they are the most deceived. We get to be in on his plan. And sometimes his plan is seemingly, it's not, but it seems like it's against ours. It happened to John the Baptist, Matthew 11. He's in prison. He's in prison. John the Baptist is in prison. And here's what Jesus says to John, because John tells some representatives, go to Jesus and ask him, are you, are you really the one? Because I'm in prison here, and I think I'm going to die. And, and here's what the, Jesus says, go back to John and tell him what you've heard. The blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life. And the good news is being preached to the poor, and God blesses those who don't fall away because of me. Listen, he's quoting Isaiah there to John's disciples, and he's quoting Isaiah, but there's a part where he says, and the prisoner goes free, but Jesus doesn't say that part, because he knows John's not going free. And don't fall away in this moment, in this hour where you're about to die, John. Don't fall away. Hang in there. Hold on. Cling to me. Follow me all the way up till they take your head. Stay with me. And as far as we know, John does, right? As one guy said, nobody writes that book. Follow God. It could end badly. <laughs> but God knows what he's doing. Jesus now says about John the Baptist later on, he's the best man that ever lived. Jesus says that. If Jesus said that about you, you did pretty well. <laughs> he had to follow the other map. And until we have completed that, we have every blessing. And the biggest part of that blessing is the Spirit of God. When you have the Spirit of God, it is the seal of the promise of God. When you come to know Jesus, so we believe in, in, in this distinctive here. The Spirit indwells every single believer who says yes to Jesus and come into my life. Every person who says, I will follow Jesus and I want a relationship, you have the Spirit of God inside you. How do I know that I have the Spirit of God inside me? You're convicted of your sin. Some of you are like, I've messed up a lot I, I, and I feel bad about it. 
That's probably the Spirit of God convicting you, telling you this was wrong. Let's repent. Let's turn another direction. When you read the Bible and you can understand it and apply it to your life, that's when you know you have the Spirit of God dwelling inside you. When you're like, I, I didn't really know which way to go and, and God told me and I, and I did it. That's when you know you have the Spirit of God inside you. But there's another side to it and that's called the baptism of the Spirit. One is the indwelling and one is the dwelling upon. They are separate. It's in the New Testament. If you're like, I don't agree with that. Okay, you're wrong. <laughs> but I'll, I'll gladly talk with you about it sometime. And when the Spirit dwells upon us, when we're baptized in the Spirit, it's often, most often in scriptures and in other places signified by praying in tongues. You're like, oh, you're going to make me pray in tongues? Nobody's going to make you do anything here. Relax. I could never make you follow Jesus. I could never make you pray a certain way. I could never make you raise your hands. I can't make you sit here. And anybody who tries to, tell me about it. I want to have some words with them. <laughs> well, they prayed in tongues, but they did other things too. They would prophesy. They would say things like, you can't know that. How could you know that? They would see healings. They would, they would have words of knowledge. Some of you are like, no, no, Acts 2, that was, they, they spoke in other tongues where languages could be understood and that's it. Okay, but then why would Paul pray, say later on, I pray in tongues more than all of you. I pray that way. Why would he do that if he's not just ministering to people of languages he can't speak? Doesn't make sense, does it? So there's one form of tongues where somebody can maybe interpret something and, and hear something else that's in their language and I've, I've watched it happen. I've been in prayer meetings and I've had friends in prayer meetings where they're with people from other nations. They prayed in tongues and they're like, you just, you just prayed in my language. And that's an amazing thing. That's an amazing thing. But also the prophetic, when God speaks, how did, how did God, how did you know that? How did you know what God just said through you? How did you know? I don't know. I don't know anything. <laughs> it's the Holy Spirit. And it dwells upon my life. I get to walk in that blessing and that power. It's a both and, not an either or. Because, see, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to prophesy, but not be convicted of my sin. What good is that? Now, I don't want to pray in tongues, but not understand the Bible. What good is that? But the best part is, like this whole, the ones who reject it. Do you realize you're rejecting that? Bring that flag back. Where'd it go? Why'd you take it away? Okay, bring it back. We're rejecting that. When you're saying, I don't want the Holy Spirit, or I don't want that type of church, or I'll think about it if I want to give my life to God, or et cetera, et cetera. Go back to the story. Go back to this king. Go back to this God who made all this. You want to say no to that? Excuse me, but... The audacity of that is insane. This king, this Lord, this God, who is moving nations as he sees fit, who heals as his will is, uh, plays out, and, and, and when he doesn't, he sustains and empowers. This God who forms the, forms the universe, molds mountains, 
And we have the audacity to be like, maybe later. Wow. That is a posture to take. So am I preaching my heart out today? You bet I am. How could we want any less of this king? But we do all the time. I don't want him to change me. I don't want to be shaken. I don't want to I don't want to say I'm sorry. <laughs> My kids do that. I never understand it. Like you'd just be out of trouble if you just said, I'm sorry. <laughs> and they won't do it. <laughs> I'm like, man, that feels so easy. Why? Because they're sinners. <laughs> and so am I. And so are they. And saying I'm sorry means I'm wrong and I have things wrong in my heart and my life. We're not worshiping Israel. We're not worshiping a God of the Old Testament. We're worshiping the God of the Old Testament and the new. We're worshiping the King of the universe. I want to be a church that blesses Israel. I'm not sure how that all plays out and how we figure that out. The Holy Spirit will lead us. He'll tell us. We'll figure it out. But will we bend the knee to the King and say, yes, God. And, and more so, do you want the Spirit of God in your life? Have you been adopted in? And secondly, if you've been adopted in, the Spirit resides in you. Have you been baptized in Him, saying, yeah, I want the power of God upon my life? The cool thing about God is He doesn't, sometimes He does force Himself, don't get me wrong. Paul, Damascus Road, feels pretty forced. <laughs> blinded, knocked off his horse. Doesn't seem gentlemanly. <laughs> but other times, he, he's gentle and patient and draws us. He, he meets us where we need him to meet us. He, he knows. Paul's a guy who needed to get knocked off his horse and blinded. <laughs> and then I was like, all right, I'll listen. <laughs> and others of us, he, he won't do that to you at all. He'll be slow and methodical and understanding. That's the best part of this thing. He meets us where we are. Thank you so much for spending some time with us. We hope this message spoke to you and helped you grow in your knowledge of and love for God. Visit us online anytime at EncounterThrive.com and reach out with questions, prayer requests, or comments. We hope to see you for our in-person services in Lockport, Illinois, Sundays at 10. So long.